Welcome to Union Chapel. We're so glad you're here. That uh, bright orb in the sky, that's actually the sun. And it's much welcome. And I know that that's uh, encouraging to you. So we're celebrating so many good things today. Just want to give you one uh, announcement. Beginning the first weekend in June, we're going to tweak our worship schedule on Sunday morning just a little bit. We've discovered that the amount of time that we have been allowing between services isn't quite enough. We're a little compressed, uh, and you experience that when you come in for this service each week. You know, the parking lot's still pretty congested, maybe the lobby, and, um, transferring children over in the other building and coming over this way. All of those things contribute to the compression. And so what we're going to do is we're going to move the start time on this service back 15 minutes, from 11.15 to 11.30. And that'll create some extra cushion. We're going to start our first service at 8.30 rather than 8.45. The 10 o'clock service stays uh, where it is. So we have just an extra 15 minutes between the the three services on Sunday. And I think that'll add value to our experience. It'll give people time to linger a while after the service. You want to fellowship a bit and catch up. And so I think there'll be just a lot of benefits to it. So we're going to do that starting in June, the first weekend in June. June 1st and 2nd, and we'll say more about that, of course, as we get closer to it. So thanks for that. We're continuing this series that we're on this uh, season called Goliath Must Fall, talking about the big things in our lives that stand between us and God's best plan for our lives. We're going to be talking over these weeks about fear, about rejection, about anger, about complacency, and about addiction. These five major themes, today we're going to talk about fear and that fear must fall from our lives. Next week we're going to take a hiatus from the series because it's Mother's Day and so we'll do a tribute to mothers all next weekend and that'll be a blessing. So all you moms, be sure and come and bring all your mother friends with you and families and it'll be a great day of celebration around a tribute to mothers. So today fear must fall. We're returning to our text from this very powerful Old Testament story between David and Goliath, and let's pick this story up and see what we can learn about overcoming our fears. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. If not, of course, we'll project the words. I'll begin at verse 4. Our custom is to stand to honor God's word. Thank you as you're able for doing that. Verse 4, a champion named Goliath who was from Goth came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. That's about nine and a half feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. It's about 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, like a fence post. And its iron point weighed 600 shekels, about 15 pounds. His shekel bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why don't you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, he will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Now, special emphasis on verse 11. Watch the response. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified, filled with fear. Understandable, that's rational fear. 
That's a giant out there. And he's, he's all business. So this is rational fear and terror, and they are experiencing it. So may God enlighten us and encourage us through his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Fear grips us when we believe that in spite of our best efforts, something undesirable is going to happen to us, and there's nothing we can do about it. It happens to all of us. And it happens to some of us a great deal of the experiences of our lives. We find ourselves somewhat overwhelmed with fear. And people, real people, fight anxiety and worry and fear all the time, every day. You should be encouraged, I hope, to know that there are 365 places in the Bible where the phrase fear not can be found. 365 times fear not is in the Bible. Now that's one for every day of the year. And we can understand from that frequency of occurrence, fear not, that God understands that we struggle with a giant called fear. So what do we do? Well, we have to, we have to refocus our lives away from the stuff that causes us anxiety and focus ourselves on the things that give us faith. I've put on your bulletin an outline there that there are roots of fear, three primary roots of fear. Let me just unpack that just briefly, and this will give you some perspective. First of all, fear comes from our conditioning, from our conditioning. Now, by that, uh, some of us were raised in, a, in an environment, a family of origin, where fear and worry were always present. You know, you may have a world-class worrier as a mother or father or grandmother or something like that. And these are the people who were constantly saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, don't drop the baby. Don't drop that baby. And don't let that baby get too hot or too cold. Or make sure she's wearing a helmet every time she goes outside. And have you, have you started investing in her 401k? Because we've got to get her set up. Mom, she's only three days old. I know, but we, we're... <laughs> and so you, you have these people. Some people were raised in a genuine climate of fear. Let me show you a very sobering verse in the Old Testament. It's from Proverbs 10, 24. Look at it on the screen. It says, what the wicked dread will overtake them. Folks who, folks who tends to permeate a climate, a culture, an ethos of fear in their house, in their home, in their, in their business, need to stop it. Because what you dread actually finds its way to you. It's a, it's a sick psychology, but it's true. What a person fears, what a person dreads, oh, oh my, you know, this, this, happened, this happened to me a long time ago. This happened to one of my family members. I, I, I'm afraid it's going to happen to me. And these fears are real, but if we place them at the central focus of our lives, the stuff that we are most dreadful of actually comes to us. It's very sobering. So we're conditioned to fear sometimes. The second root of fear is that fear comes from concealing. And by that I mean if when we sin and we don't confess that sin, then it tends to fester. And we don't confess it. We begin to, to play this what-if game. What if someone finds out what I've done? Or what if I f fail again? Or what's this going to do to my reputation? And unresolved sin, concealed sin left to fester, unconfessed and, un, and unforgiven, t 
tends to produce anxiety and fear and worry. What are people going to say? What are people going to think about me? What's going to become of me? And so concealing our sin promotes fear. Here's a third root of fear, and that is fear comes from controlling. I talked about a little bit about controlling personalities last week. And there are people in our world who want to control outcomes. They want to control every conversation. They want to control other people's lives. The primary motive of people who wish to control others is to protect themselves from further damage. They think that somehow if I can control my environment and the people around me that I can't be hurt anymore. And it's, and it's, it's, just, it's just a lie. And the lie is related to the fact that nobody can control anything at any time. Sweetheart, you have no control. And when that dawns on those of us who tend toward controlling tendencies, it produces fear because, gosh, I'm anxious about the fact that I really can't control anything. And so fear comes from controlling. Maybe some of you remember this story from Matthew 14. This is where Jesus was with the disciples, and they're about to go across the Sea of Galilee, and the boys get in a boat, and Jesus said, listen, you guys go on ahead, and I'll, I'll meet up with you later. And they said, well, okay. And so they start moving across the lake, and a storm blows up, which is frequent on, on Galilee, and it's a multi-sensory storm. It's a big deal, and the wind's blowing, and the waves are crashing and spilling into the boat, and water's splashing in their faces, and they're feeling it, and there is some anxiety about it. And then in the midst of all that worry and anxiety, Jesus comes walking to them, walking on the water. Now, they, they don't know who it is for sure, so, so that now they have fear and then terror on top of that because they think he's a ghost. So they're freaked out. I mean, their meter is pegged, and they're freaking out. And Peter says, after he hears Jesus say, listen, guys, it's me. Don't freak out. And Peter said, well, if that's really you, Lord, then permit me to come out to you. And Jesus said, come on, come on out. So Jesus invites Peter to step out of the boat and Peter gets out of the boat, starts walking on water himself. He's walking out to Jesus. This is quite a moment. How many of you know this would be a memorable experience if you, if you actually had it? This would be a moment you would, you would recall. And Peter's walking out towards Jesus. And now Peter, he's got his eyes on Jesus, but now he gets, he gets distracted. And this is what happens to us. This is an applicable story. He notices the wind and the waves and all the splashing about, all the threat to his well-being. And he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he starts to sink. And now he's sinking, and, and now he panics. And he prays, he prays a very important, effective prayer. It's a one-word prayer. It's my, it's my favorite prayer. It's the prayer that you should use as well. Sometimes one-word prayers are the best prayers. He simply goes, help, help. I found that it's at least more meaningful to me when I use a one-word prayer like help if I put an extra syllable on it. Like, help. Maybe it doesn't help, but it helps me. By the way, some of the best prayers are one-word prayers. Help is a great prayer. Thanks is a great prayer. Wow is a great prayer. So you don't have to be elaborate when you pray. But from your heart you say, Help me. Thank you. Wow. God hears those prayers. Yes, he does. 
And so immediately the Bible says Jesus reaches for Peter and pulls him back up. And now Peter's standing on the water with Jesus. And this is an amazing thing. And so they get to the boat. They climb back in the boat, which is floating on the water. And Jesus makes an interesting statement. He looks at the guys and he goes, why were you afraid? Why were you afraid? Now, that's got to be a trick question, right? Because there's all kinds of rational reasons to be afraid. I mean, there's a giant in front of us. Our lives are threatened by this storm. Now there's a ghost, you know, about to torment us. We're freaked. We're afraid. This is a rational fear. Jesus says, why, why were you afraid? And before they have a chance to answer in some fashion, he adds this caveat to the question. Why were you afraid, O ye of little faith? O ye of little faith. Now we learn something. We learn that fear and faith have relationship with each other. And it's an important thing to remember. Let me just say this. The antidote to fear is not boldness and courage. It's not, the antidote to fear isn't sucking it up and, you know, trying to be, be, be brave. That's not the antidote to fear. The antidote to fear is faith. Is faith. Confident trust in the God who made you and who's promised to be with you and has promised to protect you and promised to never leave you. Faith is the antidote to fear. That's an important thing to remember the next time you're faced with fear. And so what do we need to hear? What do we need to see? What do we need to feel? What, what do we need to understand when fear, anxiety, and worry comes upon us? On your outline, I've got four things. Now, let me just say about this list. These are four things. Once you get, once you get them all filled in, you should slide this in your Bible, especially if you're a person who is tormented by fear. And the next time anxiety and fear comes upon your life for whatever reason, just pull this outline and look at the things that I'm about to recommend to you. And if you apply these basic steps to the issue of fear in your life, you'll discover that your faith will rise up and your fear will diminish. So here's the first thing I want to say. We need to remind ourselves that God is able. That God is able. And now let's just say it this way. God is able, period. He's able. And that's what we need certainty about and to constantly remind ourselves of. Now, we know that God can work instantaneously. Some of you have a story like this, a testimony like this, where a giant, there was a giant in your life, and you prayed, God, remove this giant from me, and God took it away from you. And I mean right now. He took it in a moment. He took it in an instant. He took it miraculously from you. And, and you can give witness to that. Look, I was in this. I was involved with that. I was overcome by the other. And I prayed, and God delivered me. He set me free. And thank God for his instantaneous capacity to change your life. And, and, we, and we celebrate that. I've observed, though, over time, that God more often than not works through a process. Not instantaneously, especially with these giants. He works in a process. Let me, let me say it this way. Some giants need to be cast out of your life. Most giants need to be phased out. They need to be starved out. They need to be processed out. 
So that means that with your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups, these giants in your life, that oftentimes God will lead you to a counselor, someone who's trained and someone who's wise and someone who can sit with you and help you sort out, you know, peel the layers of the onion back so that you can get to the real root issues uh, in your life so that you can overcome these giants. And so God will use a professional counselor. He'll use a trusted friend who is wise. And let me just remind you of this. You've heard me say this before. The younger you are, the younger you are, the more likely wise counsel will come to you from someone who is older. And the reason I use that little caveat is because what we are observing in today's youth culture is that the younger you are in our culture, the more tendency you have to refer to people your own age for counsel. Not a good idea. So hear it again. The younger you are, the more likely it is God will use someone older than you to give you the wise counsel you need. So it could be a, a wise, trusted friend. It could be a small group. It could be a group of people that you have this kind of level of trust and you submit these issues in, in that context and you allow God to work through your trusted friends in a small group as God superintends the whole thing. Sometimes people need medical help. You've heard me, you've heard me talk about mental illness as an issue in our culture. We're, we're hearing more and more about it. It's so important that we educate ourselves and, and understand some of the complexities involved. We have a double standard in our culture, and I want to I encourage you to change that in your own behaviors and your own interactions with people. We have, for example, in our culture, if you have kidney disease or heart disease, people are empathetic toward you, and they say, well, that's, that's so sad. Are you getting the help you need? Yeah, I've seen a doctor. You know, my lifestyle changed. I have to take a medicine. I, you know, I'm doing well. I expect to live a normal life. And people go, good for you. It's good that you, it was caught before it was a major problem. And so you're managing that. You know, God bless you. But another person comes along and says, you know, I, I have mental illness. My brain chemistry just doesn't work. So, so we have this double standard because people, people react differently to that. And there's a stigma attached to it. And it's unfortunate. And it's not fair. Because the guy with, with coronary artery disease is okay, but the guy with mental health challenges is not. And I'm just saying it's, it's just another manifestation of the, the corruption that we experience in this world. There's something wrong with all of us all the time. And so we've got to be more open-minded, more sympathetic, more empathetic to people who may need help with managing their brain chemistry. In some cases, that requires psychiatric help and medical help. And if we see someone who's actually benefiting with their brain chemistry and biology from medicine, then we ought to celebrate that and say, well, good for you. Just like we say to the guy with a, with a heart condition, I'm glad you're taking that med. You know, it affects the rhythm of your heart and you're a healthier person for it. We should feel the same way toward people who are managing their mental well-being as well. Someone say amen to all that. So we've got to be sensitive to that. So all of these things help and provide therapeutic relief. Uh, ultimately, though, the greatest relief comes in knowing that God is able, that God is able. Years ago, when smartphone technology came onto the scene, we all were buying smartphones. By the way, smartphones have always been, have only been in existence now for 11 years. 
11 years. Someone's, you know, someone said before smartphones, those were the good old days. <laughs> I don't, they were back in the day, but I don't know how good they were. So smartphones are great. They're great uh, in a lot of ways, and they're a challenge in other ways. Shortly after I got my smartphone, I got enamored with Siri. Siri fascinates me. You know, you can get any piece of information, any piece of knowledge from all of history in about four seconds. It's fascinating. Now, you can't get wisdom from Siri because she doesn't have wisdom. In fact, in a lot of ways, Siri is a dope. <laughs> but you can get any facts you want. And I, I, was, I just thought that was great. And one day I realized that Siri wasn't responding to me. Siri's not responding. So I thought, well, my phone's broke. So I took it to the phone store. This is years ago. Took it to the phone, phone store and the attendant there, I think he was four or five years old. And <laughs> I told him my problem. And he said, have you turned your phone off recently? So no, I didn't turn my phone off. You know, I want my phone to work so I keep it on. That doesn't make sense. And the, and the five-year-old guy says, well, you need to turn your phone off. I said, why? He said, well, it'll, it'll, it'll help the phone's memory. And it'll reboot the short-term memory on the phone. It won't be confused, and it'll f function more efficiently. I went, really? He said, yeah, just shut that thing off. So I shut it off, waited 10 seconds, turned it back on. Shazam! Everything was working again. Well, I learned something that day. I learned that that's true with all of my devices. I can unplug my pad, I can unplug my computer, I can reboot my DVR, just unplug the thing and wait a few seconds, I plug it back in, and it works again. It's phenomenal. This has been an interesting experience all weekend because there are young people in the room looking at me like I'm a total idiot. And then there are older people in the room going, I have learned something today. This is going to help me out. Yeah. So it's really curious. But you can ask Siri. For example, you can ask Siri. I did this this morning. I said, uh, Siri, scriptures on how to overcome fear. And three seconds later, there are 50 scriptures on my, on my phone. Now, all I had to do is read it. Listen to me. Here's the way you reboot your own brain. If you suffer from fear, it is by reading God's word. It is by reading the scripture. God's word provides the reboot. A storm might be raging around you. A giant might be taunting you and demoralizing you. But if you saturate yourself in the truth of God's word and remind ourselves that God is able, that he is the Lord and there is no other, that he has purpose that will come to pass, that what he has said and what he has promised, he will do. When we saturate ourselves with that, it will reboot our mind and it will help us see the truth and the reality of our circumstances, give us perspective we need so that faith rises up in us and fear is diminished in us. Look at this, look at this uh, scripture from Matthew 6. I'll put this on the screen. Jesus said, why do you worry about what you'll eat? He said, why do you worry about what you'll wear? He said, why do you worry 
about your clothes. Don't you know that your Father in heaven knows what you need? He's clothed the lilies of the field with all their beauty. Not a bird falls from the sky without his knowledge. He gives to everything on this earth what they have. Surely he, your Father, will give you what you need. For who of you by worrying can add one inch of comfort to your life? Your Father will give you what you need. Why? Say it with me. Because he is able. He is able. So we need to remind ourselves that God is able. That's what we need. Here's number two. Write this down. We'll move quickly. We set the Lord always before us. We set the Lord always. Now, this is what David did. Look at Psalm 16.8. I'll put that on the screen too. David wrote this psalm. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Isn't that great? I mean, this is phenomenal. Why did David not feel terrorized by the giant? Why is it that Saul and the entire army were dismayed and in terror by this giant, and David, this shepherd boy, wasn't intimidated at all? Simply because David constantly fixed his focus on someone bigger than Goliath. Hear this now. That's why David wasn't afraid. David set the Lord always before him because God was at David's right hand. David would not be shaken. So he shows up the day to serve bread and cheese to his older brothers, just as the giant had come out one of his two times to taunt the armies of the living God. And the first thing David hears from this, from this giant is, your God is weak. Your God is worthless. Our gods are greater than your God. And our gods will overcome your gods. David said, who's that guy? Well, he's, he's the giant. David said, well, who's going to shut him up? He's got to be shut up. He can't be talking like that. He can't be saying our God is weak. That's, that's wrong. That's not true. Someone needs to shut him up. I mean, literally lop off his head, shut him up. Remember, David's not a Christian. This is a thousand years B.C. David was not wearing a what would Jesus do bracelet. These are, this is tribal warfare in the spring when people go out to war. And the tribes fight. And so David says, someone needs to lop his head off. And so David's going, who's going to go? And everyone's sitting on their sword. David said, well, then I'll go. I'll go. Because he has to be shut up in him right now. (laughs) Now, listen to me. The giant was bigger than David. We can all visualize that. We got it. But God was bigger than the giant. And that's what David knew. Therefore, he said, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, and my body will also rest secure if we set the Lord always before us. So we've got to keep our focus on Jesus. Remember, being bold and courageous isn't the antidote to fear. It's faith is the antidote. Here's number three. We name what's keeping us up at night. I don't think it's enough to merely say, pray for me. My anxieties are kicking up. You know, I, I suffer from worry and fear and... And, you know, I'm just feeling a lot of that right now. Please pray for me. I think that's, that's a step, but I think it needs to go another step. I think it's helpful to name it. I think it's helpful to name the person. I think it's helpful to name the circumstance that is causing you anxiety and fear. For example, this bill that's coming due for $918, I can't pay it. And I'm anxious about that. And even though I think my work is superior, I'm concerned that the other person is going to get the promotion. Or my daughter's dating a guy, and I don't trust that guy. 
and I'm afraid that's not, that's not going to end well. Or I start chemotherapy tomorrow, and I'm afraid. Name that thing, that person, that circumstance is creating fear, and give it to God. Now listen, we don't minimize the situation. We're only attempting to maximize our view of the only one we can totally trust. And we are simply taking the giant and placing Jesus between us and the giant by naming it. There it is. That may be a real fear, but I'm putting Jesus right between us. And that's ultimately going to help. Look at Psalm 3, verses 1 to 5. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. But you, oh, Lord, somebody receive this right now. Lord, you are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. You know how you know when you overcome fear? What David said, I lay down and sleep. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. Isn't that beautiful? So we name what's keeping us up. We place our confident trust in Jesus. Here's the last thing. Write this down. Number four, we fill our mouths with praise. We fill our mouths with praise. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. So again, we're not waving a magic wand over whatever's causing us fear, and it instantly disappears. We're doing the right things by placing our confident trust in Jesus, building our faith so that our fears diminish. Let me remind you of something. No one can fear two things equally at the same time. No one can fear two things equally at the same time. One fear will always displace the other. Let me say it another way, that, that worship and worry can't stay in the same space. My wife Beth, uh, many of you know her story, but Beth's mother died when Beth was nine years old. Now let me ask you, would that create any anxiety or worry or fear in a nine-year-old heart when your mother's, mother's just died? So that's real. It's very real. She's been through other things in her life. She's, she's fought and defeated cancer now twice. Now, I know, because I, I was her husband during those seasons, and I know that she was afraid. She was afraid of pain, afraid of suffering, afraid of death. But Beth learned something. She learned a one-word prayer in her darkest, most fearful moments in her life. She's learned a one-word prayer. It's a name. It's the name Jesus. Because you can't fear two things equally at the same time. So you can, you can fear death or you can fear God. But you can't fear them equally at the same time. And so what Beth would do in her darkest moments of fear and anxiety, she just put Jesus between her and her fear. And she discovered, she discovered that when she would simply utter the name of Jesus, it wasn't even help me Jesus, it was just Jesus. I need you. She discovered that her fears would diminish as her faith rose up. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? Listen, listen to the lyrics of this uh, hymn. Charles Wesley wrote 7,000 hymns. One of them is a great classic called Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. This is the third stanza. Listen to these words. Jesus, the name that charms our fears. Isn't that a great phrase? Who writes stuff like that? Jesus, the name that charms our fears that sets the captives free. Yeah, 
Tis music in the sinner's ear. Tis life and health and peace. And so this is what we learn. If a giant in our life is fear or worry or anxiety, that as we place our confident hope and trust in Jesus Christ by recognizing that God is able, placing the Lord always before us, naming those things we fear, and by filling our mouths with praise and worship, these are the antidotes to fear because it builds our faith in Jesus Christ. And when you feed your faith in Jesus, you starve your fears to death. Amen. So he who has an ear, let him hear. Let's pause and pray about these things. Lord, we thank you this morning for this powerful story. We thank you, O oh God, for the confidence that we have in knowing that you have secured for us the ultimate victory at the cross. And so we look to Jesus. And I pray specifically for individuals in the room right now who do suffer from this big thing called fear of anxiety and worry. Lord, it's a real thing. It comes from many sources. But we know you've not given us a spirit of fear, but love and power and a sound mind. So we look to Jesus today and pray that you would build our most holy faith, knowing that he is the glory and the lifter of our head. So help us to see Jesus. In his holy name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Would you stand with us now?